chapters one through seven of book two of on the parts of animals by aristotle translated by william ogle this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter one the nature and the number of the parts of which animals are severally composed are matters which have already been set forth in detail in the book of researches about animals we have now to inquire what are the causes that in each case have determined this composition a subject reserved by us for separate consideration now there are three degrees of composition and of these the first in order as all will allow is composition out of what some call the elements such as air earth water fire perhaps however it would be more accurate to say composition out of the elementary forces nor indeed out of all of these but out of a limited number of them as defined in previous treatises for fluid and solid hot and cold form the material of all composite substances and all other differences are secondary to these such differences that is as heaviness or lightness density or rarity roughness or smoothness and any other such properties of matter as there may be the second degree of composition is that by which the homogeneous parts of animals such as bone flesh and the like are constituted out of the primary substances the third and last stage is the composition which forms the heterogeneous parts such as face hand and the rest now the order of actual development and the order of logical existence are always the inverse of each other for that which is antecedent in the true order of nature is posterior in the order of development and that is genetically last which is logically first that this is so is manifest by induction for a house does not exist for the sake of bricks and stones but these materials for the sake of the house and the same is the case with the materials of other bodies for generation is a process from a something to a something that which is generated having a cause in which it originates and a cause in which it ends the originating cause is the primary efficient cause which is something already endowed with tangible existence while the final cause is some definite and predictable form for man generates man and plant generates plant and in each case out of the material which environs both in order of time then the material and the generative process must necessarily be anterior to the being that is generated but in logical order the definitive character and form of each being precedes the material this is evident if one only tries to define the process of formation 
for the definition of house-building includes and presupposes that of the house but the definition of the house does not include nor presuppose that of house-building and the same is true of all other productions so that it must necessarily be that the elementary material exists for the sake of the homogeneous parts seeing that these are genetically posterior to it just as the heterogeneous parts are posterior genetically to them for these heterogeneous parts have reached the end and goal having the third degree of composition in which degree generation or development often attains its final term animals then are composed of homogeneous parts and are also composed of heterogeneous parts the former however exist for the sake of the latter for the active functions and operations of the body are carried on by these that is by the heterogeneous parts such as the eye the nostril the whole face the fingers the hand and the whole arm but inasmuch as there is a great variety in the functions and motions not only of aggregate animals but also of the individual organs it is necessary that the substances out of which these are composed shall present a diversity of properties for some purposes softness is advantageous for others hardness some parts must be capable of extension others of flexion such properties then are distributed separately to the different homogeneous parts one being soft another hard one fluid another solid one viscous another brittle whereas each of the heterogeneous parts presents a combination of multifarious properties for the hand to take an example requires one property to enable it to effect pressure and another and different property for simple prehension for this reason the active or executive parts of the body are compounded out of bones sinews flesh and the like but not these latter out of the former so far then as has yet been stated the relations between these two orders of parts are determined by a final cause we have however to inquire whether necessity may not also have a share in the matter and it must be admitted that these mutual relations could not from the very beginning have possibly been other than they are for heterogeneous parts can be made up out of homogeneous parts either from a plurality of them or from a single one as is the case with some of the viscera which varying in configuration are yet to speak broadly formed from a single homogeneous substance but that homogeneous substances should be formed out of a combination of heterogeneous parts is clearly an impossibility for these causes then some parts of animals are simple and homogeneous while others are composite and heterogeneous and dividing the parts into the active or executive and the sensitive each one of the former is as before said heterogeneous and each one of the latter homogeneous 
for it is in homogeneous parts alone that sensation can occur, as the following considerations show. Each sense is confined to a single kind or order of sensibles, and its organ must therefore be such as to admit the action of that kind, and of no other. It must therefore have the properties of that kind, and of no other. For that which is endowed with a property, in posse, is acted upon by that which has the like property, in esse. The oneness of its sensibles implies, then, the oneness or homogeneity of the sense-organ. Thus it is that while no physiologists ever dream of saying of the hand or face or other such part that one is earth, another water, another fire, they couple each separate sense-organ with a separate element, asserting this one to be air and that other to be fire. Sensation, then, is confined to the simple or homogeneous parts, but, as might reasonably be expected, the organ of touch, though still homogeneous, is yet the least simple of all the sense-organs, for touch, more than any other sense, appears to be correlated to several distinct kinds of objects, and to recognize more than one category of contrasts heat and cold for instance solidity and fluidity and other similar oppositions accordingly the organ which deals with these varied objects is of all the sense organs the most corporeal being either the flesh or the substance which in some animals takes the place of flesh now as there cannot possibly be an animal without sensation, it follows as a necessary consequence that every animal must have some homogeneous parts, for these alone are capable of sensation, the heterogeneous parts serving for the active functions. Again, as the sensory faculty, the motor faculty, and the nutritive faculty are all lodged in one and the same part of the body, as was stated in a former treatise, it is necessary that the part which is the primary seat of these principles shall on the one hand, in its character of general sensory recipient, be one of the simple parts, and on the other hand shall, in its motor and active character, be one of the heterogeneous parts. For this reason it is the heart which in sanguineous animals constitutes this central part, and in bloodless animals it is that which takes the place of a heart. For the heart, like the other viscera, is one of the homogeneous parts, for if cut up its pieces are homogeneous in substance with each other but it is at the same time heterogeneous in virtue of its definite configuration, and the same is true of the other so-called viscera, which are indeed formed from the same material as the heart. For all these viscera have a sanguineous character owing to their being situated upon vascular ducts and branches. For just as a stream of water deposits mud, 
so the various viscera, the heart excepted, are, as it were, deposits from the stream of blood in the vessels. And as to the heart, the very starting point of the vessels, and the actual seat of the force by which the blood is first fabricated, it is but what one would naturally expect, that out of the self-same nutriment of which it is the recipient, its own proper substance shall be formed. Such, then, are the reasons why the viscera are of sanguineous aspect, and why in one point of view they are homogeneous, in another heterogeneous. Chapter 2 Of the homogeneous parts of animals, some are soft and fluid, others hard and solid, and of the former, some are fluid permanently, others only so long as they are in the living body. Among the fluids are blood, serum, lard, suet, marrow, semen, bile, milk when present, flesh, and their various analogues for the parts enumerated are not to be found in all animals, some animals only having parts analogous to them. Of the hard and solid homogeneous parts, bone, fish spine, sinew, blood vessel, are examples. The last of these points to a subdivision that may be made in the class of homogeneous parts, for in some of them the whole and a portion of the whole are synonymous. Thus, a portion of vessel is still called vessel, while in others there is not this identity of name. And so far these parts agree with the heterogeneous parts, for a portion of a face is never called face. The first question to be asked is, what are the causes to which these homogeneous parts owe their existence? The causes are various, and this whether the parts be solid or fluid. Thus, one set of homogeneous parts represent the material out of which the heterogeneous parts are formed, for each separate organ is constructed of bones, sinews, flesh and the like, which are either essential elements in its formation, or contribute to the proper discharge of its function. A second set are the nutriment of the first, and are invariably fluid, for all growth occurs at the expense of fluid matter, while a third set are the residue of the second. Such, for instance, are the feces, and in animals that have a bladder, the urine the former being the dregs of the solid nutriment, the latter of the fluid. Even the individual homogeneous parts present variations which are intended in each case to render them more serviceable for their purpose. The variations of the blood may be selected to illustrate this, for different bloods differ in their degrees of thinness or thickness of clearness or turbidity, of coldness or heat, and this, whether we compare the bloods from different parts of the same individual, or the bloods of different animals. For in the individual, 
all the differences just enumerated distinguish the blood of the upper and of the lower halves of the body and dealing with classes one section of animals is sanguineous while the other has no blood but only something resembling it in its place as regards the results of such differences the thicker and the hotter blood is the more conducive is it to strength while in proportion to its thinness and its coldness is its suitability for sensation and intelligence a like distinction exists also in the fluids which are analogous to blood this explains how it is that bees and other similar creatures are of a more intelligent nature than many sanguineous animals and that of sanguineous animals those are the most intelligent whose blood is thin and cold noblest of all are those whose blood is hot and at the same time thin and clear for such are suited alike for the development of courage and of wisdom accordingly the upper parts are superior in these respects to the lower the male superior to the female and the right side to the left as with the blood so also with the other parts homogeneous and heterogeneous alike for here also such variations as occur must be held either to be related to the essential constitution and mode of life of the several animals or in other cases to be merely matters of slightly better or slightly worse two animals for instance may have eyes but in one these eyes may be of fluid consistency while in the other they are hard and in one there may be eyelids in the other no such appendages in such a case the fluid consistency and the presence of eyelids which are intended to add to the accuracy of vision are differences of degree as to why all animals must of necessity have blood or something of a similar character and what the nature of blood may be these are matters which can only be considered when we have first discussed hot and cold for the natural properties of many substances are referable to these two elementary principles and it is a matter of frequent dispute what animals or what parts of animals are hot and what cold for some maintain that water animals are hotter than such as live on land asserting that their natural heat counterbalances the coldness of their medium and again that bloodless animals are hotter than those with blood and females than males parmenides for instance and some others declare that women are hotter than men and that it is the warmth and abundance of their blood which causes their menstrual flow while empedocles maintains the opposite opinion again comparing the blood and the bile some speak of the former as hot and of the latter as cold while others invert the description if there be this endless disputing about hot and cold which of all things that affect our senses are the most distinct what are we to think as to our other sensory impressions the explanation of the difficulty appears to be 
that the term hotter is used in several senses, so that different statements, though in verbal contradiction with each other, may yet all be more or less true. There ought, then, to be some clear understanding as to the sense in which natural substances are to be termed hot or cold, solid or fluid, for it appears manifest that these are properties on which even life and death are largely dependent, and that they are, moreover, the causes of sleep and waking, of maturity and old age, of health and disease, while no similar influence belongs to roughness and smoothness, to heaviness and lightness, nor in short to any other such properties of matter. That this should be so is but in accordance with rational expectation, for hot and cold, solid and fluid, as was stated in a former treatise, are the foundations of the physical elements. Is, then, the term hot used in one sense or in many? To answer this we must ascertain what special effect is attributed to a hotter substance, and if there be several such, how many these may be. A body, then, is in one sense said to be hotter than another, if it impart a greater amount of heat to an object in contact with it. In a second sense, that is said to be hotter which causes the keener sensation when touched, and especially if the sensation be attended with pain. This criterion, however, would seem sometimes to be a false one, for occasionally it is the idiosyncrasy of the individual that causes the sensation to be painful. Again, of two masses of one and the same substance, the larger is said to have more heat than the smaller. Again, of two things, that is the hotter, which the more readily melts a fusible substance, or sets on fire an inflammable one. Again, of two bodies, that is said to be the hotter, which takes the longer time in cooling, as also we call that which is rapidly heated hotter than that which is long about it, as though the rapidity implied proximity, and this again similarity of nature, while the want of rapidity implied distance, and this again dissimilarity of nature. The term hotter is used then in all the various senses that have been mentioned, and perhaps in still more. Now, it is impossible for one body to be hotter than another in all these different fashions. Boiling water, for instance, though it is more scalding than flame, yet has no power of burning or melting combustible or fusible matter, while flame has. So again, this boiling water is hotter than a small fire, and yet gets cold much more rapidly and completely. For in fact, fire never becomes cold, whereas water invariably does so. Boiling water again is hotter to the touch than oil, yet it gets cold and coagulates more rapidly than this other fluid. Blood again is hotter to the touch than either water or oil, and yet coagulates before them. Iron again, and stones, and other similar bodies are much longer in getting heated than water, but when once heated burn other substances with a much greater intensity. 
another distinction is this in some of the bodies which are called hot the heat is derived from without while in others it belongs to the bodies themselves and it makes a most important difference whether the heat has the former or the latter origin for to call that one of two bodies the hotter which is possessed of heat we may almost say accidentally and not of its own essence is very much the same thing as if finding that some man in a fever was a musician one were to say musicians are hotter than healthy men of that which is hot per se and that which is hot per accidens the former is the slower to cool while not rarely the latter is the hotter to the touch the former again is the more burning of the two flame for instance as compared with boiling water while the latter as the boiling water which is hot per accidens is the more heating to the touch from all this it is clear that it is no simple matter to decide which of two bodies is the hotter for the first may be the hotter in one sense the second the hotter in another indeed in some of these cases it is impossible to say simply even whether a thing is hot or not for the actual substratum may not itself be hot but may be receptive of heat as an attribute as supposing hot water or hot iron had single names would be the case with the substratum of the substances denoted by such names it is after this manner that blood is hot in such cases in those that is in which the substratum owes its heat to an external influence it is plain that cold is not a mere privation but an actual existence there is no knowing but that even fire may be another of these cases for the substratum of fire may be smoke or charcoal and though the former of these is always hot smoke being an uprising vapour yet the latter becomes cold when its flame is extinguished as also would oil and pine wood under similar circumstances but even substances that have been burnt nearly all possess some heat cinders for example and ashes the dejections also of animals and among the excretions bile because some residue of heat has been left in them after their combustion it is in another sense that pine wood and fat substances are hot namely because they rapidly assume the actuality of fire heat appears to cause both coagulation and melting now such things as are formed merely of water are solidified by cold while such as are formed of nothing but earth are solidified by fire hot substances again are solidified by cold and when they consist chiefly of earth the process of solidification is rapid and the resulting substance is insoluble but when their main constituent is water the solid matter is again soluble what kinds of substances however admit of being solidified and what are the causes of solidification are questions 
that have already been dealt with more precisely in another treatise in conclusion then seeing that the terms hot and hotter are used in many different senses and that no one substance can be hotter than others in all these senses we must when we attribute this character to an object add such further statements as that this substance is hotter per se though that other is often hotter per accidens or again that this substance is potentially hot that other actually so or again that this substance is hotter in the sense of causing a greater feeling of heat when touched while that other is hotter in the sense of producing flame and burning the term hot being used in all these various senses it plainly follows that the term cold will also be used with like ambiguity so much then as to the signification of the terms hot and cold hotter and colder chapter three in natural sequence we have next to treat of solid and fluid these terms are used in various senses sometimes for instance they denote things that are potentially at other times things that are actually solid or fluid ice for example or any other solidified fluid is spoken of as being actually and accidentally solid while potentially and essentially it is fluid similarly earth and ashes and the like when mixed with water are actually and accidentally fluid but potentially and essentially are solid now separate the two constituents in this last instance and you have on the one hand the watery part capable of passing by imbibation into other substances and this is both potentially and actually fluid and on the other hand you have the earthy part and this is both potentially and actually solid it is to bodies that are solid in this double manner that the term solid is most properly and absolutely applicable so also the opposite term fluid is strictly and absolutely applicable to that only which is both potentially and actually fluid the same remark applies also to hot bodies and to cold these distinctions then being laid down it is plain that blood is essentially hot in so far as that heat is connoted in its name just as if boiling water were denoted by a single term boiling would be connoted in that term but the substratum of blood that which it is in substance while it is blood in form is not hot blood then in a certain sense is essentially hot and in another sense is not so for heat is included in the definition of blood just as whiteness is included in the definition of a white man and so far therefore blood is essentially hot but so far as blood becomes hot from some external influence it is not hot essentially as with hot and cold so also is it with solid and fluid we can therefore understand 
how some substances are hot and fluid so long as they remain in the living body but become perceptibly cold and coagulate so soon as they are separated from it while others are hot and consistent while in the body but when withdrawn undergo a change to the opposite condition and become cold and fluid of the former blood is an example of the latter bile for while blood solidifies when thus separated yellow bile under the same circumstances becomes more fluid we must attribute to such substances the possession of opposite properties in a greater or less degree in what sense then the blood is hot and in what sense fluid and how far it partakes of the opposite properties has now been fairly explained now since everything that grows must take nourishment and nutriment in all cases consists of fluid and solid substances and since it is by the force of heat that these are concocted and changed it follows that all living things animals and plants alike must on this account if on no other have a natural source of heat this natural heat moreover must belong to many parts seeing that the organs by which the various elaborations of the food are effected are many in number for first of all there is the mouth and the parts inside the mouth on which the first share in the duty clearly devolves in such animals at least as live on food which requires disintegration the mouth however does not actually concoct the food but merely facilitates concoction for the subdivision of the food into small bits facilitates the action of heat upon it after the mouth come the upper and the lower abdominal cavities and here it is that concoction is effected by the aid of natural heat again just as there is a channel for the admission of the unconcocted food into the stomach namely the mouth and in some animals the so-called esophagus which is continuous with the mouth and reaches to the stomach so must there also be other and more numerous channels by which the concocted food or nutriment shall pass out of the stomach and intestines into the body at large and to which these cavities shall serve as a kind of manger for plants get their food from the earth by means of their roots and this food is already elaborated when taken in which is the reason that plants produce no excrement the earth and its heat serving them in the stead of a stomach but animals with scarcely an exception and notably all such animals as are capable of locomotion are provided with a stomachal sac which is as it were an internal substitute for the earth they must therefore have some instrument which shall correspond to the roots of plants with which they may absorb their food from this sac so that the proper end of the successive stages of concoction may at last be attained the mouth then its duty done passes over the food to the stomach and there must necessarily be something to receive it in turn from this 
this something is furnished by the blood vessels which run throughout the whole extent of the mesentery from its lowest part right up to the stomach a description of these will be found in the treatises on anatomy and natural history now as there is a receptacle for the entire matter taken as food and also a receptacle for its excremental residue and again a third receptacle namely the vessels which serve as such for the blood it is plain that this blood must be the final nutritive material in such animals as have it while in bloodless animals the same is the case with the fluid which represents the blood this explains why the blood diminishes in quantity when no food is taken and increases when much is consumed and also why it becomes healthy and unhealthy according as the food is of the one or the other character these facts then and others of a like kind make it quite plain that the purpose of the blood in sanguineous animals is to subserve the nutrition of the body they also explain why no more sensation is produced by touching the blood than by touching one of the excretions of the food whereas when the flesh is touched sensation is produced for the blood is not continuous nor united by growth with the flesh but simply lies loose in its receptacle that is in the heart and vessels the manner in which the parts grow at the expense of the blood and indeed the whole question of nutrition will find a more suitable place for exposition in the treatise on generation and development and in other writings for our present purpose all that need be said is that the blood exists for the sake of nutrition that is the nutrition of the parts and with this much let us therefore content ourselves chapter four what are called fibres are found in the blood of some animals but not of all there are none for instance in the blood of deer and of roes and for this reason the blood of such animals as these never coagulates for that portion of the blood which consists mainly of water is not liable to coagulation this process occurring only in the earthy part that is in the fibres during the evaporation of the moisture some at any rate of the animals with watery blood have a keener intellect than those whose blood is of an earthier nature this is due not so much to the coldness of their blood as to its thinness and purity neither of which qualities belongs to the earthy matter for the thinner and purer its fluid is the more active is an animal's sensibility thus it is that some exsanguineous animals notwithstanding their want of blood are yet more intelligent than some among the sanguineous kinds such for instance as already said is the case with bees and ants and whatever other animals there may be of a like nature at the same time too great an excess of water makes animals timorous for fear chills the body so that in animals whose heart contains so watery a mixture the way is as it were prepared 
for the operation of this emotion, for water is congealed by cold. This also explains why bloodless animals are, as a general rule, more timorous than such as have blood, so that they remain motionless when frightened, and discharge their excretions, and in some instances change colour. Such animals, on the other hand, as have thick and abundant fibres in their blood, are of a more earthy nature, and of a choleric temperament, and liable to bursts of passion. For anger is productive of heat, and solids, when they have been made hot, give off more heat than fluids. The fibres, therefore, being earthy and solid, are turned into so many hot embers in the blood, like the embers in a vapour-bath, and cause ebullition in the fits of passion. This explains why bulls and boars are so choleric and so passionate, for their blood is exceedingly rich in fibres, and the bulls at any rate coagulates more rapidly than that of any other animal. If these fibres, that is to say, if the earthy constituents of which we are speaking are taken out of the blood, the fluid that remains behind will no longer coagulate, just as the watery residue of mud will not coagulate after removal of the earth. But if the fibres are left, the fluid coagulates, as also does mud, under the influence of cold. For, when the heat is expelled by the cold, the fluid, as has been already stated, passes off with it by evaporation, and the residue is dried up and solidified, not by heat but by cold. So long, however, as the blood is in the body, it is kept fluid by animal heat. The character of the blood affects both the temperament and the sensory faculties of animals in many ways. This is indeed what might reasonably be expected, seeing that the blood is the material of which the whole body is made, for nutriment supplies the material, and the blood is the ultimate nutriment. It makes then a considerable difference whether the blood be hot or cold, thin or thick, turbid or clear. The watery part of the blood is serum, and it is watery either owing to its not being yet concocted, or owing to its having become corrupted, so that one part of the serum is the resultant of a necessary process, while another part is material intended to serve for the formation of the blood. Chapter 5. The differences between lard and suet correspond to differences of blood for both are concocted blood, being that surplus of it which, though well concocted and highly nutritious, has not been expended in forming the fleshy substance of the animal, but remains over owing to the superabundance of food. That such is the composition of these substances is evident from their sheeny appearance. For a sheeny look in fluids comes from their being compounded of air and of fire. It follows from what has been said that no exsanguineous animals have either lard or suet, 
for they have no blood. Among sanguineous animals, those whose blood is dense are likely to have suet rather than lard, for suet is of an earthy nature, that is to say, it contains but a small proportion of water, and is chiefly composed of earth. And this it is that makes it coagulate, just as the fibrous matter of blood coagulates, or broths, which contain such fibrous matter. Thus it is that in those horned animals that have no front teeth, in the upper jaw, the fat consists of suet, for the very fact that they have horns and huckle-bones shows that their composition is rich in earthy matter, for all such appurtenances are solid and earthy in character. On the other hand, in those hornless animals that have front teeth in both jaws, and whose feet are divided into toes, there is no suet, but in its place lard, and this, not being of an earthy character, neither coagulates nor dries up into a friable mass. Both lard and suet, when present in moderate amount, are beneficial, for they contribute to health and strength, while they are no hindrance to sensation. But when they are present in great excess, they are injurious and destructive, for were the whole body formed of them it would perish, for an animal is an animal in virtue of its sensory part, that is, in virtue of its flesh, or of the substance analogous to flesh. But the blood, as before stated, is not sensitive, as therefore is neither lard nor suet, seeing that they are nothing but concocted blood. Were then the whole body composed of these substances, it would be utterly without sensation. Such animals, again, as are excessively fat, age rapidly, for their blood is used up in forming fat, and so they have but little of it left. And when there is but little blood, the way is already open for decay. For decay may be said to be deficiency of blood, the scantiness of which renders it liable, like all bodies of small bulk, to be injuriously affected by any chance excess of heat or cold. For the same reason, fat animals are less prolific than others. For that part of the blood, which should go to form semen and seed, is used up in the production of lard and suet, which are nothing but concocted blood so that in these animals there is either no reproductive excretion at all, or only a scanty amount. So much, then, of blood and serum, and of lard and suet. Each of these has been described, and the purposes told for which they severally exist. Chapter 6. The marrow also is of the nature of blood, and not, as some think, the germinal force of the semen. That this is the case is quite evident in very young animals. For in the embryo the marrow of the bones has a blood-like appearance, which is but consistent with the fact that the parts are all constructed out of blood, 
and that it is on blood that the embryo is nourished. But as the young animal grows up and ripens into maturity, the marrow changes its color, just as do the external parts and the viscera. For the viscera also, in very young animals, have each and all a blood-like look, owing to the large amount of this fluid which they contain. The consistency of the marrow agrees with that of the fat, for when the fat consists of lard, then the marrow also is oily and lard-like, but when the concocted blood is converted into suet and does not assume the form of lard, then the marrow also has a suety character. In those animals, therefore, that have horns and are without upper front teeth, the marrow has the character of suet, while it takes the form of lard in those that have front teeth in both jaws, and that also have the foot divided into toes. What has been said hardly applies to the spinal marrow, for it is necessary that this shall be continuous and extend without break through the whole backbone, inasmuch as this bone consists of separate vertebrae. But were the spinal marrow either of soft fat or of suet, it could not hold together in such a continuous mass as it does, but would either be too fluid or too frangible. There are some animals that can hardly be said to have any marrow. These are those whose bones are strong and solid, as is the case with the lion, for in this animal the marrow is so utterly insignificant that the bones look as though they had none at all. However, as it is necessary that animals shall have bones, or something analogous to them, such as the fish spines of water animals, it is also a matter of necessity that some of these bones shall contain marrow, for the substance contained within the bones is the nutriment out of which these are formed. Now the universal nutriment, as already stated, is blood, and the blood within the bone, owing to the heat which is developed in it from its being thus surrounded, undergoes concoction, and self-concocted blood is suet or lard, so that it is perfectly intelligible how the marrow within the bone comes to have the character of these substances. So also it is easy to understand why in those animals that have strong and solid bones, some of these should be entirely void of marrow, while the rest contain but little of it for here the nutriment is all spent in forming the bones. Those animals that have fish spines in place of bones have no other marrow than that of the chine, for in the first place they have naturally but a small amount of blood, and secondly the only hollow fish spine is that of the chine. In this, then, marrow is formed this being the only spine in which there is space for it, and moreover being the only one which, owing to its division into parts, requires a connecting bond. This too is the reason why the marrow of the chine, as already mentioned, is somewhat different from that of other bones. 
for having to act the part of a clasp it must be of glue-like tenacity and at the same time sinewy so as to admit of stretching such then are the reasons for the existence of marrow in those animals that have any and such its nature it is the surplus of the sanguineous nutriment apportioned to the bones and fish spines which has undergone concoction owing to its being enclosed within them chapter seven from the marrow we pass on in natural sequence to the brain for there are some who think that the brain itself consists of marrow and that it forms the commencement of that substance because they see that the spinal marrow is continuous with it in reality the two may be said to be utterly opposite to each other in character for of all the parts of the body there is none so cold as the brain whereas the marrow is of a hot nature as is plainly shown by its sheeny appearance and by its fatness indeed this is the very reason why the brain and spinal marrow are continuous with each other for wherever the action of any part is in excess nature so contrives as to set by it another part with an excess of contrary action so that the excesses of the two may counterbalance each other now that the marrow is hot is clearly shown by many indications the coldness of the brain is also manifest enough for in the first place it is cold even to the touch and secondly of all the fluids of the body it is the one that has the least blood for in fact it has no blood at all in its proper substance this makes it the most consistent of all the fluids this brain is not an excretion nor yet is it one of the parts which are anatomically continuous with each other but it has a character peculiar to itself as might indeed be expected that it has no continuity with the organs of sense is plain from simple inspection and is still more clearly shown by the fact that when it is touched no sensation is produced in which respect it resembles the blood of animals and their excrement the purpose of its presence in animals is no less than the preservation of the whole body how it affects this will be seen from what follows some writers assert that the soul is fire or some such force this however is but a rough and inaccurate assertion and it would perhaps be better to say that the soul is incorporate in some substance of a fiery character the reason for this being so is that of all substances there is none so suitable for ministering to the operations of the soul as that which is possessed of heat for the functions of the soul are nutrition and motion and it is by heat that these are most readily affected to say however that the soul is fire is much the same thing as to confound the auger or the saw with the carpenter or his craft simply because the work is wrought by the two in conjunction so far then this much is plain 
that all animals must necessarily have a certain amount of heat but as all influences require to be counterbalanced so that they may be reduced to moderation and brought to the mean for in the mean and not in either extreme lies the true and rational position nature has contrived the brain as a counterpoise to the region of the heart with its contained heat and has given it to animals to moderate the latter compounding it of earth and water for this reason it is that every sanguineous animal has a brain whereas no bloodless creature has such an organ unless indeed it be as the pulp by analogy for where there is no blood there in consequence there is but little heat the brain then tempers the heat and seething of the heart in order however that it may not itself be absolutely without heat but may have a moderate amount branches run from both blood vessels that is to say from the great vessel and from what is called the aorta and end in the membrane which surrounds the brain while at the same time in order to prevent any injury from the heat these encompassing vessels instead of being few and large are numerous and small and their blood scanty and clear instead of being abundant and thick we can now understand why defluxions have their origin in the head and occur whenever the parts about the brain have more than a due proportion of coldness for when the nutriment steams upwards through the blood vessels its refuse portion is chilled by the influence of this region and forms defluxions of phlegm and serum we must suppose to compare small things with great that the like happens here as occurs in the production of showers for when vapour steams up from the earth under the influence of heat and is carried into the upper regions so soon as it reaches the cold air that is above the earth it condenses again into water owing to the refrigeration and falls back to the earth as rain these however are matters which may be suitably considered in the principles of diseases so far as natural philosophy has anything to say to them it is the brain again or in animals that have no brain the part analogous to it which is the cause of sleep for either by chilling the blood that streams upwards after food or by some other similar influences it produces heaviness in the region in which it lies which is the reason that drowsy persons hang the head and causes the heat to escape downwards in company with the blood it is the accumulation of this in excess in the lower part that produces complete sleep taking away the power of standing upright from such animals as are able to assume that posture and from the rest the power of holding up the head these however are matters which have been separately considered in the treatises on sensation and on sleep that the brain is a compound of earth and water is shown by what occurs when it is boiled for when so treated it turns hard and solid 
inasmuch as the water is evaporated by the heat and leaves the earthy part behind. Just the same occurs when pulse and other fruits are boiled, for these also are hardened by the process, because the water which enters into their composition is driven off and leaves the earth, which is their main constituent, behind. Of all animals, man has the largest brain in proportion to his size, and it is larger in men than in women. This is because the region of the heart and of the lung is hotter and richer in blood in man than in any other animal, and in men than in women. This again explains why man alone of animals stands erect, for the heat overcoming any opposite inclination makes growth take its own line of direction, which is from the centre of the body upwards. It is then as a counterpoise to his excessive heat that in man's brain there is this superabundant fluidity and coldness, and it is again owing to this superabundance that the cranial bone, which some call the bregma, is the last to become solidified. So long does evaporation continue to occur through it under the influence of heat. Man is the only sanguineous animal in which this takes place. Man, again, has more sutures in his skull than any other animal, and the male more than the female. The explanation is again to be found in the greater size of the brain, which demands free ventilation proportionate to its bulk. For if the brain be either too fluid or too solid, it will not perform its office, but in the one case will freeze the body, and in the other will not cool it at all, and thus will cause disease, madness, and death. For the cardiac heat and the centre of life is most delicate in its sympathies, and is immediately sensitive to the slightest change or affection of the blood on the outer surface of the brain. The fluids which are present in the animal body at the time of birth have now nearly all been considered. Amongst those that appear only at a later period are the residua of the food, which include the deposits of the belly and also those of the bladder. Besides these, there is the semen and the milk, one or the other of which makes its appearance in appropriate animals. Of these fluids, the excremental residua of the food may be suitably discussed by themselves when we come to examine and consider the subject of nutrition. Then will be the proper time to explain in what animals they are found, and what are the reasons for their presence. Similarly, all questions concerning the semen and the milk may be dealt with in the treatise on generation, for the former of these fluids is the very starting point of the generative process, and the latter has no other ground of existence than generative purposes. End of chapter 7 of book 2